Blog Talk Radio. Hello and welcome. We're so glad to have you with us here this evening on Ask Herbal Health Expert Susan Weed, a two-hour radio show each Tuesday night. Herbal medicine is people's medicine, simple, safe, effective. Please bring your curiosity and health questions. Susan will enlighten, surprise, and delight you. I know most of you know Susan Weed already. She's my mom, so I know her. But for those of you who have not yet met Susan, I'd like to share, she is the author of the Wise Woman Herbal Series, wonderful books on women's health and herbal medicine, including Wise Woman Herbal for the Childbearing Year, Breast Cancer Breast Health! Exclamation point, The Wise Woman Way, Healing Wise, The Wise Woman Herbal, New Menopausal Years, The Wise Woman Way, Down There, Sexual and Reproductive Health, The Wise Woman Way. And Abundantly Well, Seven Medicines, The Wise Woman Way, the newest book in the Wise Woman Herbal Series. So exciting. In addition to being the editor at Ashtree Publishing and writing her books, Susan is the director of the Wise Woman Center in Woodstock, New York. The Wise Woman Center is open to the public on appointment-only basis. She offers weekend workshops, intensives, and apprenticeships throughout the season. Susan is also available to you online via wisewomanmentor.com. There you can go and view her weekly e-zine. You can subscribe to receive a notification via email each week, or you could join her mentorship program. Susan also offers distance learning correspondence courses and online courses at thewisewomanschool.com. Join us there for colorful, instructive, easy video courses, including Easy Herbal Medicine with Susan Weed, Happy Knees, a Cancer Diagnosis, Adaptogens for Long Life, and Abundantly Well Companion Course, wisewomanschool.com. You can also just go to her website, susanweed.com, where you will find thousands of pages online with recipes, articles, art features, and so much more. Well, for now, let's see what Susan has to share with us this evening. Thank you, and welcome, Susan. Thank you, Justine, and welcome, Sarah Ellen. Hi, Susan. How are you this evening? Uh, doing very, very well. We had a wonderful weekend. Yes, we, went on, uh, we went out on Saturday, and the um, first thing we did was we harvested nettle, and we made nettle soup. 
And you know that I always put the nettle that we harvest into boiling water. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hang on just one second. Thank you, Sir Alan. I'm sorry, there was some stranger at the door. Oh, no problem on my end. <laughs> <laughs> so we went on Saturday, we made nettle soup, and I put the fresh stinging nettle tips into the water. And I told people while we were picking it that nettle is primarily a fiber plant. And yet some of them insisted on putting long stalks of nettle into the soup, and then they complained that their soup was tough. I said, mm-hmm, yep. I mentioned to you that you just want the the tip of it, right? About what? About four or five inches off the top. And if it's really tall when you cut that, then just cut the rest of it and hang it up to dry. You don't need the the tender top to make your nettle infusion. The whole thing, the stalk and the leaves, is great. So we made nettle soup, and then we went um, out and about, and we looked at a few things, and then we went to the wild leek patch. And we uh, talked about the wild leeks ramps and um, oh, how, in, how in German leek is lauk. And the wild leeks are barren lauk, the bear's leek. And the leek, leek with a knob on the end is knoblauk, that's garlic. Ooh. And the one that you snip is schnittlauk, chives. <laughs> and we talked about how important all of the... Uh, things in the garlic and onion family are as spring tonics, how much they bring us in a variety of different ways. And we picked a little here and a little there, and um, then we decided we were hungry. So I went in the house to finish the soup and do the rest of getting lunch together, and they all went out and picked salad, and there's so much to pick for salad now. What are you picking for salad these days? Oh, so much, like you just mentioned. Um, dandelion, of course, is so prolific. Uh, we have a lot of... I, I had, everyone, had everyone taste dandelion leaf so they would know why I do not eat dandelion leaf in the spring. Mm. <laughs> right. In fact, I find the worst wow. time to eat dandelion leaf is in the spring. It's most bitter and tough. We definitely are putting flowers in the salad and cutting the green part off. But when we make wine, we do leave the green part of the flower on. Oh, interesting. I have not made the wine, but I am enjoying little bits of the flower in salad and loving the chickweed in salad. Maple flowers, yeah. they were, and they are so sweet. So really enjoying the maple flowers, even just as a little treat when working out in the yard. Aren't they great? Yeah. They are. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I have a sourdough starter, so I woke up my sourdough starter the night before, made a thin batter with it. We made dandelion flower fritters for everybody. Oh, wow. What a marvelous treat. Oh, wow. But, right. And, of course, the fritter recipe as well as the dandelion wine recipe is in my green book, Healing Wise. And... um I always tell people that if I were going to write the book over, which I'm not, I would include don't cork those bottles, put a balloon on them, because dandelion can set up a very strong secondary ferment. 
And that means it could blow your bottle or your cork right to the next town. And we don't want that. <laughs> and the no. balloon, you know, will just get full of air. And then as that subsides, the balloon will kind of get limp. And then you say, oh, it's now it's time to cork it. So they lo- they looked out, and virtually everything on the table for lunch they had picked, they had harvested, was a gift to us. And then Sunday, Aww. we started with blood, we started with bloodroot, and we just went out into the woods, and we saw coptis and dwarf ginseng and fiddleheads, which I actually suggest that people don't eat. And if you can eat fiddleheads once a year, you probably survive it. But the Maori discovered, after eating a lot of fiddleheads in New Zealand, because, of course, the plants in New Zealand are quite different from plants in the South Pacific, so they were really kind of, you know, not really sure about what was they could eat, but they knew they could eat the fiddleheads. But most of them uh, apparently wore their teeth down to the gum line by their 30s from eating fiddleheads because they have a lot of uh, really... uh, uh, things that, that wear the teeth down, and quite a few of them got cancer as well oh. because uh, there is, yeah, there's a known carcinogen in fiddleheads. Wow. Wow. Yeah. I know. So, again, you know, about... even once a year, it's, you know, it's a treat, not, probably not a big deal. Uh, but I certainly don't go out in the woods and, like, look for and harvest fiddleheads right. among all of the wild foods that I eat. And then after lunch on Sunday, we went out and we saw Potophyllum peltatum, also known mm-hmm. as American mandrake, may apple, maypaw. Mm-hmm. Very unusual looking plant. It looks like an umbrella. It comes up like a closed umbrella. It's the stalk right in the middle and then the leaf unfurls. And then we saw one of my f- favorite-to-look-at plants, Veratrum viridis, also known as false hellebore or Indian poke. And I told them that veracity, right, vera is truth. And uh, verdigris is green, the color the copper turns. So Veratrum viridis, to me, is the green truth. Ah. Both of these are very, very poisonous, which is why we waited until after lunch, and I did not encourage anyone to even so much as taste them. Mm-hmm. In fact, in fact, potophyllum, the root of potophyllum, um, is made into an extract that's used in modern medicine to get rid of um, genital warts, and the occasional person dies from having that root extract put on their genitals. Oh, wow. That is powerful. These poisonous plants, yes. <laughs> not, you know, n- not the kind of plant that I want to work with, but certainly the kind of plant that's very fascinating to study um, if we want to make drugs. Right. 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 But there they are out in the woods, and so we were out in the woods all day, and I'm always thrilled that I get to, do, to walk around in the woods all day and call it work. definitely a blessing (laughs) it is such a blessing isn't it 
It's also a wonderful, wonderful blessing that we get to talk to Maureen Smith at 9 o'clock. Maureen Smith, writer, activist, and mom, has written a couple of books. Her most recent book is Your Moontime Magic, A Girl's Guide to Getting Your Period and Loving Your Body. And the book before that was First Moon Celebration and Support for Girls Growing Up Journey. So I'm really eager to hear her talk about what she's doing and what she's finding in terms of girls and girls coming into their period. Um, It's somewhat of a joke now between my daughter and I. It wasn't a real joke at that point that she wouldn't tell me when she got her first period. And the reason that she wouldn't tell me is that she she knew that if she told me, I'd do a ceremony for her. And she was so... Aw. Right? (laughs) So, you know, it... Since, you know, she had, you know, the experience of knowing that that wasn't the ordinary thing and she really didn't want it because it wasn't the ordinary thing. And we didn't have a specific ceremony for my granddaughter, but as life would have it, and life is always having it its way, um, she was able to come to every moon launch the year that she got her period. Oh, wow. Wow. Yeah. So that, to me, that's absolutely the perfect way to do it. And it used to be the um, girls' initiation into their uh, responsibilities as women, which is signaled by that first bleeding. Um, <clears throat> traditionally, among the peaceful nations where I live, took place at the Strawberry Moon. And so the moon in June, when the strawberries are ripe, was the moon for the little girls to become women. And I have treasured memories of strawberry moon festivals with various of my native grandmothers. And, of course, it's been many, many years since that happened. And I just got um, a message from a, a sister, a clan sister, who said that she wants to start Strawberry Moon again and would I be available to come. So I do hope that perhaps next year we'll be able to tell you that there's going to be a Strawberry Moon Festival. Let's see what happens. Wow. That would be so special. Something to possibly That would be so special. So Maureen will be here at 9 o'clock East Coast time. Stay with us or come on back, whichever works for you. Do we have any questions tonight? Yes, we already have four callers that have pressed one to let us know that they have a question and would like to speak with you. And I'll remind everyone else listening that if you have a question for Susan tonight, please press one so that we know to bring you on the line and ask your question. Our first caller tonight is calling from the 845 area code. From the 845, you're live with Susan. I think that that could be me. That's you. Oh, hi, Susan. It's Debbie. How are you? I'm well, Debbie. How are you? Wonderful. I'm enjoying this weather. All my plants Truly, are growing. Eh? Mm. Growing, growing. Um, All the crab yes, apples yes. have burst into bloom in the past day. Oh, that's beautiful. I had um, a question for you, Susan. Um, in your book, Abundantly well, you mention um, 
that you use uh, yarrow tincture as um, a dentifrice, and um, I and I was wondering how I, I've been um, doing that. I've been trying to do it, and um, I put like two drops of the tincture on my toothbrush, and it does seem as though my mouth feels a little dry. Is the alcohol okay in the tincture for brushing your teeth? The yarrow itself is an astringent. It's one of the reasons it's so good for your mouth because it contracts the tissues and it contracts and tightens the gums. Okay. Well, um, I, I've been using that, and I, I've also been using uh, Eusnea use uh, tincture. I have a, a bit of um, inflammation and an infection of the bone in my jaw, and um, and I'm not sure how much of the you. If do you think the Eusnea is for bone infection, isn't it? Herbs don't treat diseases. Herbs treat people. Okay. There's not an herb for a disturbance. Mm-hmm. So it's not that there's an herb that treats bone infections. That's what drugs do. Right. And even drugs, and even drugs don't really do it that specifically, do they? Mm-hmm. If they wanted to give you an antibiotic, they would either give you a broad-spectrum antibiotic or they would make a culture to see if they could find out what the infection is, and then give you a specific one for that infection, but not because it's a bone infection, right? It's um, it's um, okay. So what I'm saying is, when we ask, this is is this the herb for bone infections? We're getting off on the wrong track. <laughs> We're somehow thinking that an herb is going to treat a specific condition, and that is not what herbs do. Now, okay. if you were to say to me, can Uznia help me and help my immune system to deal with this infection, I would have to ask you, first of all, how long have you had the infection? Um, it has been um, a couple of months, and the only way I can tell that I have it is there is like it looks like a little sore on my gum. And And, but that's what it is. So a dentist has diagnosed that that little sore is indicative of an infection in the bone. Well, that's what the the dentist said. That's what the dentist said. Uh huh. Okay. And you don't have any pain or swelling. Um, I it's a little bit um, sore and it's slightly swollen. And you've been taking Usnea for how long and how much have you been taking? Um. I've been taking the uh, Usnea for maybe about five days, and I take it uh, one dropper full maybe once or twice a day. And what kind of results have you seen from doing that? Um, excuse me? Have you seen any results in the five oh, days you've been taking it seems as though it might be helping somewhat, but it's hard to tell. It's, if it is, it's it's uh, slowly. 
in general, when we're using herbs and dealing with infections, if we don't get response within 48 hours, we change herbs. Okay. And the response should be very strong. It should be. It, it should be. Um, the response, the response to the anti-infective herb should be fast and strong. Okay. Well, maybe I didn't take enough. With an infection that has been there for such a long time, my first choice would be echinacea. Oh, I was taking that before, and then I. Uh-huh. And how, how much and how much and how often? I I think I was doing it haphazardly, and I did three droppers full because of my body weight. And you did that every how often? Every once in a while, it was haphazard. Okay. One of the things that I found is that many people. Uh, prefer drugs because they don't have to pay attention. No, I'm not one of those people, though. I want to pay attention. Well, haphazard doesn't say that to me. <laughs> I know. Now I'm not going to be. <laughs> I have now an infection, I'm, I'm and I'm going to be on a... Then there can't be anything haphazard about it. No. I know. So I take my dose of echinacea, and if it's a severe infection, I might take it every hour or two. Okay. Not haphazard. Okay. Because haphazard is the way to get a prescription for antibiotics. Right. Because if the infection gets deep into the bone in your jaw, you will have to use antibiotics. Mm Mm-hmm. So I would see if your three-dropper-full dose of echinacea taken every two hours Mm -hmm. for at least a day and a half. And, yes, I do mean waking up in the night and taking it. Wow. Okay. Even if you have to set your alarm. And I would expect pretty dramatic and pretty quick results from doing that. Okay. If not, if within a day and a half I didn't get those results that I wanted, I would start adding poke root tincture to the echinacea. Mm-hmm. And I would take one drop in the morning and one drop at night, and the next day two drops in the morning and two drops at night. Poke is said to focus very well on disruptions and infections in the mouth and the throat. It's considered to be its primary area of activity. We often hear about poke being used to help with breast issues, and that's considered its secondary area of activity. And, of course, then the gut and the pelvis is its third strongest area of activity. So you're, if you don't get results quickly and strongly from the echinacea, 
I would say don't hesitate to add both to it. Okay. If you don't have, and that will get, give you a little bit of time to find Poku tincture. You're not going to find it for sale, at least not in stores. You probably have to order it from Catskill Mountain Herbs or Red Moon Herbs. I know they both make it. Oh, okay. Must be made from the fresh plant. Fresh plant. Does Poke grow where you live? Does Poke grow around you? I don't think so. It's pretty common throughout the um, Northeast. Mm-hmm. Well, I'll find it. It's pretty easy to find, in fact. It's generally, well, six to nine feet tall. Oh, the stalks are bright magenta. It has big green leaves. The berries start out green and turn black. As a matter of fact, one of the common names for it is inkberry. Mm-hmm. That's very dramatic. Nine feet tall. Poisonous plants are usually pretty dramatic, it's true. Mm-hmm. And I would appreciate it if you have the time to give us a call back next week just to let us know how things are going. Okay, I will. Well, thank, thank you, you so much. Great blessings. Good night. Green blessings. All right, we have our next caller calling in from the 859 area code. From the 859, you're live on the air with Susan. Hi, Susan. This is Kathleen. Hi, Kathleen. Hello. Um, I have two questions, and I think maybe I'll ask the one about the poison ivy first. I had um, I had remembered you mentioning that Sarah Ellen was going to share something about her ally relationship with the plant. And I don't know if I ever was able to catch it. I know there were some technical difficulties one of the evenings. Did she ever end up sharing that? I, I believe that Sarah Ellen told us that she had a date to do that this coming month. Is that correct, Sarah Ellen? Yes, the date is May 11th. I will be sharing. Mm-hmm. Okay, I'll look forward to that. Right, so um, she'll, I, sh- I will interview her, so she'll have a whole half hour to share with us. Okay, great. All right, May 11th. Awesome. May 11th. I'll be listening. And then um, <clears throat> my other question is about fatigue, and um, I'm not really sure how to tell the story, but I'm going to go. I'm going to give it a shot. So I have been, well, let's see, I'm 50 years old, and I started um, early stages of menopause at around in my early 40s, or like 43 or so, and um, I'm also on the autism spectrum, and I work, when it's not COVID times, I work in an office setting. Um, Also, I've been a single mom for many years, and um, there's lots of reasons why I might have been struggling with fatigue, which has made it sort of hard to to um, to get a clear sense of what's happening. But when I was working in the office, um, 
it's very socially stimulating for me and I need a lot of recovery time when, <clears throat> when I'm around that kind of social stimulation. So for a long time, I was just kind of shot when I would come home at the end of the day without any energy and the weekends I'd be down. Um, <clears throat> and then since working from home, I definitely have more energy than I did have prior to that. Um, but still, I don't feel like my energy levels match with the way I eat, which is, you know, a broad diet, and I drink nourishing herbal infusions. And I know that a lot of folks talk about, and I usually don't pay much attention, but I know a lot of folks talk about thyroid and hormone replacement therapy also for menopause symptoms type of thing. And I just, you know, I've given this a lot of time and just basically tried to make sure I'm taking good care of myself and not not really being frustrated with the reality that I'm living in because, you know, I'm still I'm still doing well and have relationships and, you know, overall I'm not depressed or anything. Um, but I do have like a some thinning hair on the back of my head and some, I don't know, like uh, my fingernails are a little bit ridged. Biggest mistake see. that most women make is thinking that the changes of menopause are going to accompany them for the rest of their life. Okay. Do you recall puberty? Yes. And there were some physical things about puberty that you didn't like? Yeah. Were they still with you in your 20s? No, it's, oh, my body's always been changing. That's what's happening. Yeah. So okay. please do not terrorize yourself. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Remember that you are a caterpillar becoming a butterfly. And the caterpillar is not necessarily happy about the change. Yeah. And I knew that the caterpillar doesn't just grow wings and becomes become a butterfly, that it actually turns into, depending on the species, green slime or black goo or some other thing like that. Uh, but what I didn't know, I was talking to an entomologist a couple of years ago who told me that that green slime, black goo, whatever it is, for that species brings itself together and actually makes a, a butterfly several times it does it and then it goes back into slime again and then it does it and then it goes back into goo again and then it you know so it's like <laughs> it's that's that's what's happening in menopause you're like okay okay i've got it i've got it and then bloop you're back into the goo <laughs> you're not failing it's what is natural natural is not always what you consider normal right right just as the way your mind works isn't normal, but it's entirely natural. Right. I was uh, watching a movie, and I don't even really know what the title of the movie was, but there was a line in it that just almost had me sobbing because the woman lead turns and looks at the male, who's not the lead, but a and 
she's done something rather stupid, and she says to him, so let's just not ever mention this to anybody. And he <laughs> says, oh, I don't know if I can promise that. And she says, why not? He says, I don't know. It might just come out sometime. And she looks at him, and she says, you know, I realize that you can't lie. And I thought, bingo. She's with an autistic person. <laughs> yes, right. Right. It's a real social liability not to be able to lie. Yeah, for sure. On the other hand, you don't get caught up in as many mind games with yourself. Mm-hmm. So, first of all, menopause is exhausting. Mm. Do you remember how tired you felt during puberty? Oh, yeah. Right? Just like, oh, like you felt like you could sleep for 28 hours straight. Totally. So these are big changes. They're very physically and energetically demanding. You don't have anything wrong with you that's making you tired. You menopausal women and menopausal women are tired. Okay. I often tease that I have never met a menopausal woman who has any problem going to sleep off and fall asleep in their clothes (laughs) and then wake up a few hours later. Yeah. But the exhaustion, the tiredness is so deep that when it's finally time to lay down, boom. Yeah. You're out. Mm-hmm. And then many menopausal women will wake up. And what Elizabeth Kubler-Ross taught me was that sleep is not really needed. I was horrified by this. I had complained mm-hmm. to her she wasn't letting us sleep enough. And she said, you know, if you're going to do this kind of work with people, you just need to give up your whole idea about sleep. Mm-hmm. And I'm whining and telling her, sleep, it's really important. And she says, no, no, no. She says, your real problem is you don't know how to rest. Mm-hmm. And the great thing about rest is that you can rest for 30 seconds. You just have to rest for eight hours. And 30 seconds of rest, if it's real rest, if you really teach yourself to evoke the relaxation response, you get 30 minutes worth of sleep. Mm -hmm. Have you ever heard of Thomas Edison? Mm -hmm. Yep. How much did he sleep? I don't know. I bet he, he accomplished a lot, so probably not much. Correct. He rarely slept more than two or three hours at a time. He had beds everywhere so that he could just lay down and sleep when he needed to. Wow. Ever hear of, um, he lived a long time ago, Leonardo da Vinci? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Same thing. Not recorded that the man ever slept more than a couple of hours consecutively. Yeah, he had a lot to get done. The point I'm making is that not sleeping does not interfere with your creativity or your energy so long as you let yourself sleep when you truly need to and you rest whenever you can. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. I'm unable the, to do that. The pursuit of sleep makes people anxious and unable to sleep. I've always been a good sleeper. You're in menopause. Yeah, you I did return. go through periods. Yeah, yeah I did go through periods where I was awake, but I really was comforted by how you described mm. um, those moment, th- those periods of time as just still being able to take advantage of the rest and and use that time in a way that doesn't make you feel like you're missing out on something. That's that was really helped me get through that first yeah. spell. Yeah. <clears throat> so you're drinking your nourishing herbal infusions. I am. And you're eating your well-cooked greens. I am. What many women find when they get into this part of menopause is no matter what their diet has been beforehand, they now crave and need meat, red meat. Yeah, I've been been eating red meat. And that helps to cut through some of that tired. Mm -hmm. I can feel it in my brain. How old is your child or children now? My daughter is uh, 20. So not too much single parenting that you have to do right now? No, it's just a totally different phase. It's not what it used to be. You know, it's not but No, you, you still have to be there. You still have her mom. You still have to be there. But there's yeah. more slack for you to really take care of yourself now. I have a lot more time to myself. Exactly. Yeah, it's been sweet. Yeah. So did we get your questions answered? You did. Yes, thank you very much. You're welcome. Green blessings. Good night. Green blessings. All right, we have four callers on the line that have pressed one to let us know that they have a question and would like to speak with you. I'd like to remind everyone else listening, if you have a question, please press one so that we know that you have a question and you can come on live and speak with Susan. The next caller is calling from the 541 area code. In the 541, you're live with Susan. Hi, Susan. Hi. Good to talk with you. Um, today I'm calling because um, I've been having some pain that uh, has kind of started in my sternum. It'll come and then radiate out into my back and like shoulder blade. Um, and I've been talking with a few different people that I know and. They all say it sounds like it could be a gallbladder-type related pain. Um, And I had one episode where it was... Does it get worse after you eat? Yes. That's when I've had the discomfort, yes. And I had one episode that was, like, quite debilitating. Uh, Yeah, like after breakfast. Mhm, mhm, and especially a meal that has any quantity of fat in it. Exactly. Yeah. Um, it has gotten better. 
uh, since I've been a little more aware that that's what it could be, and I have cut back on fat, um, and um, <laughs> sorry, and uh, you know, just being a little more careful, I guess, with what I'm eating. I did go to my nurse practitioner. She took a lab, and there's some like liver enzyme that's a little bit elevated, not much. And, you know, they kind of tell me, like, that could mean something or it could not mean something. Um, But I'm curious, you know, I guess I could tell you a couple things that I have been doing with the herbs is I started including some violet uh, infusion in addition to the other herbal infusions. Then I went with chickweed for a while and most recently, I've been drinking also some burdock. I kind of left the chickweed switch to burdock as like an additional uh, infusion. And um, other than that, I've been taking dandelion tincture before meals and just trying to get as much dandelion into my diet as I can. And Hooray, I'm- the dandelion. Yeah. Hooray, hooray for dandelion, yes. And, um, you know, we really do not know very much about why gallstones form. Mm -hmm. Whenever anybody talks about gallstones, I think about a very early experience that I had with somebody else's gallstones. And the woman in question was an herbalist herself, and she was working with a lot of herbs, you know, starting with dandelion and getting bitterer and bitterer from there. Um, she was able to keep herself pretty healthy for three or four years, and then things just shut down. And she really had to have her gallbladder removed because the stones were too big to be broken up. The way they'd like to do it is just to put a, some sound waves through there and break up the gallstones and let them right. come out on their own. Um, but her actual gallbladder had to be removed, and she asked them if they would give it to her, and this was back in the day when they would. And there was actually a gallstone in her gallbladder as big as her thumb. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> Which is why they couldn't break them up. Uh-huh. Because it, that was so big. And one would think, well, okay, you know, you know, really neat and necessary. You had to have your gallbladder out. You can certainly live without your gallbladder and all those you know, early stones too. Unfortunately, uh, and I, I don't know how frequent this is, but I think it's not unfrequent. Um, when her gallbladder was out, she had the same pain that she had had when it was in. Oh, interesting. Only now the herbs didn't work because her gallbladder wasn't there. So she was kind of bummed out about that. Yeah. 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 And I don't know if there's a moral to that story because really she could not have gone on with what was going on with her gallbladder. Do you think as long as I'm not having severe discomfort, I can take kind of a wait-and-see approach to it? Um, Probably. Yeah. So long 
so long as you understand that it would be very wise to really keep track of what's going on and to take whatever precautions you need not to wind up in a strange hospital having emergency gallbladder surgery. Right, so decide what hospital you'd like to go to, you know. If you're the doctor that you're working with works at a certain hospital, you know, find out about that. And just so that, you know, if you are in terrible pain, because the pain can be really bad. Yes. and I You had an episode, right? Yes, it was really bad. Uh, it's really bad. It's not like, oh, I, I have a pain. It's like, I'm going to... To just yeah. kill myself over this pain that's so bad. I mean, yeah. don't. But it's it's, <laughs> it, it's an awful pain. I have yeah. not ever had it, but I've seen people in the midst of it. I'm like, think, oh, I'm so sorry for you. So that's why I'm saying at that point of pain, if it goes on and on, you would do anything. Yes. So prepare yourself for if you get to that point. That's a good. That's good advice. Yeah. Right, and then you'll feel safer and more protected as you see what happens. Okay. You know, our bodies certainly respond to everything we think and everything we say. It's not, you know, impossible for you to say to your body, oh, excuse me, we do not want these gallstones here in the gallbladder, let's just ditch them. Yeah. And if your body has to break them up, again, that's what modern medicine would do, right? They put a sound wave in there, break it up, and let your body get rid of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was it's my attraction it, to the chickweed, that kind of dissolving ability. Yes. Did it do any good? Well, I certainly have felt better. All right. Um, Glad to hear it. Yeah, and I haven't cut fat entirely. Like for a few days after that episode, I was like, okay, no fat, but I've been eating some, and I've been getting, uh, I got a couple acupuncture treatments, and I do think that was good. Yeah, Um, but I would like to... And you might try putting more olive oil on your skin. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay. Right. Remember that hormones are specialized fats with messages. Mm-hmm. And if you're going to go on a very low-fat diet, feed fat to your body through your skin. Mm, I like that. And it won't go through the digestive system, so it shouldn't kick off that gallbladder pain. Okay. I had a quick question about the acupuncture and this particular... Um, you know, Chinese medicine uh, doctor, he's, you know, wanted to offer me these herbs, and there's like a big mix of herbs, and I was like, well, I want to think about that, because, you know, according to him, it's like, oh, you take this, and we can probably, like, eliminate the gallstones, if most likely that's what it is. Um, But, again, I just felt like, this I've gotten so used to doing things with one herb at a time and doing it that way where I can track it. And I was curious if just how you see that. He's like, well, that's not the Chinese way. Is, I was like, okay, well. Is this a pill that he's suggesting you take? A cure-all? Is, that what you is it a pill 
P-I-L-L, oh, no. a capsule, well, a tablet, a pill? Just powdered herbs. Uh, in Like I would mix it in water, like a spoonful of it. The difficulty with powdered herbs or herbs in a tablet or capsule or pill is that you really have no way of knowing whether or not there's drugs in it. Uh-huh. And the vast majority of Chinese remedies that come in tablet, capsule, or pill form contain hormones, antibiotics, all right, uh, you know, a variety of drugs that don't belong in an herbal remedy. If what he's offering you is the whole herbs for you to take home and cook up, yeah. then you can be sure there aren't any other things mixed in there with it. Yeah. So perhaps that's where you and he could come together. One of the reasons that they mix herbs together is that they use a fair amount of herbs that have pretty noxious tastes. Okay. And so they need to throw a few other herbs in there to get it to taste uh, even tolerable. Okay. But it is certainly not the Chinese way to mix the herbs, powder them, and have you take the powder. Huh. It is the Chinese way to mix the herbs, give them to you, have you cook them low and slow for a great many hours. Interesting. Yeah, that might just be his way then. So right. you can say to him, I am very open to taking Chinese herbs and I'm very open to taking them in a traditional way, which I understand, is that you give me the whole herbs. I go to an herbal pharmacy and get the whole herbs in certain proportions and then I am to cook them for a long period of time. And I'd be happy to do that, but I'm not taking any powders. Mm-hmm. That makes sense to me. Alrighty. Well, um, I appreciate your time, Susan. Thank you. Green blessings. Good night. Good night. Bye-bye. All right. The next caller is calling in from the 812 area code. From the 812, you're live on the air with Susan. Hello. Hi, Susan. I'm calling to ask a question about skin, and then I'm going to pass the phone to my partner, and he's got a different question for you. So about skin, I'm specifically talking about the skin on my face. And for some context, I'm 27. I've been drinking nourishing herbal infusions for about five years. And I've tried some other things that I've heard on the show, like working with burdock over about six months daily, burdock tincture, burdock root tincture. And I've also tried... Could I, could uh, I interrupt you just for a moment? I yes. know we're talking about the skin on your face, but I don't know what's going on with it. Oh, yes. Okay. It's just, it's just not very clear. And I sometimes have these breakouts along my jawline that are hard to explain. And I've heard you talk before about the skin being a barrier between the self and the rest of the world. So I've been mm-hmm. thinking about that too, but just breakouts like little blemishes along the jawline and a little bit along my neck as well. Mm-hmm. Not, and- not all the time, just every now and then. Just every now and then, like once a month? Uh, once a month, Off- yes, but not always coinciding with my period. With, with, the, with the flow of whatever your flow is doing. Right. It's not, It's not. to me, it doesn't seem pattern-like in a um, 
replicable way over the months that it comes up, you know, at the beginning of the period or something. It just seems sporadic. I don't know if random, but sporadic. Mm-hmm. And when you say breakout, like acne? Yes, but it's it's like just a few spaced out blemishes. Mm-hmm. And do they last and get worse or do they go away pretty quickly? Neither. They don't get worse and they don't go away quickly. It usually takes a couple of weeks for them to resolve in their redness and they're, ra- they're raised from the skin. Mm-hmm. And what have you put on them that hasn't helped? I've tried using witch hazel and yarrow tincture. I also have some calendula oil that I made and just for when my skin gets dry. And I've used and I'm still using just plain jojoba oil in the mornings. Oh, and just also plain shea butter at night when my skin gets really dried out. It tends towards dryness. Those all sound wonderful. And if they haven't helped, then there's a possibility um, that there's a mild fungal infection. Okay. Hard to say because I'm not there. Sure. Um, and things that are on the skin can be very difficult to pin down. But the things you're doing should get rid of bacterial infections. And since it's not, then we're going to have to say maybe it's not a bacterial infection. Okay. Horse tail applied externally is a fungicide. Okay. So it's growing now. You can pick it. You can make a tea with the fresh stuff, or you can buy dried horsetail and make a tea with that. Okay. And put it in a spray bottle so you can spray it on the area so you don't have to touch the area with your fingers. Okay. If and you, so you're wrong, it's not a fungal infection, then nothing bad will happen. And if it is, Great. there will be surprising and wonderful results. Oh, okay. So, so just to clarify with the horsetail, make a tea, like just steep it for 10 minutes or something? Is that what you mean? And then put that directly on you my can, face? You can just make a tea with it and spray that on your face, or you can buy the dried stuff and make an infusion. It works okay. just about any strength. Okay, got it. Okay, I'll give that a try. Great. Um, and call us back in a couple of weeks and let us know what's happening, okay? Okay. Oh, a question about that. And I know your husband, husband wants to talk to me. Yes. Yes, he's got a question too, but but before I pass the phone, I just want to ask you, um, with the time scale, I don't want to be impatient, you know, so when you say a couple of weeks, should I look out to call back in like two weeks? It's probably hard to say, right? Because two weeks is a couple of weeks, yeah. Okay. A couple of two. Okay. Okay. Cool. I'm going to pass the phone along now. Hello, Susan. Hi. What's up with you tonight? Um, nothing much. My question was really simple, actually. I was just wondering, because I've been tinctering um, wild herbs uh, around the city, and I just had a question about the hundred, the, the need for the 100-proof vodka. So I've been using that, but I'm not exactly sure why um, or what would be the effect of changing the proof. What we want to do when we're making a tincture 
is we want to use a process called osmosis to move constituents that are in the cells of the plant into solution, into whatever we've poured over the plant. And alcohol is particularly good solvent for alkaloids and glycosides. Alkaloids and glycosides are two kinds, um, two patterns of poisons that are found in plants. I don't want to perhaps say kinds because that might lead you uh, not to realize that there are tens of thousands of different alkaloids and glycosides. Okay. And they're frequently found in plant roots and plant seeds and so on. So if we want to make a plant as drug-like as possible, then we will dry it, powder it, and pour 198-proof alcohol over it. This will generally pull out all of the poisons from the plant and put them into the alcohol, leaving behind vitamins, minerals, proteins, buffers, all that kind of stuff. So we've used our high-proof alcohol, 198-proof alcohol, to make a poison from the plant. Mm, Okay. Osmosis is the process by which the amount of something on one side of a semi-permeable membrane becomes the same as what's on the other side. So we start off with fresh plants, which are 75% water, more or less, individual plants. Very sunny day, a little less, rainy day, a little more, different parts of the plant, roots would be a little drier, leaves a little wetter, but 75% is a good average number. So if we put 100 proof vodka, which is 50% water and 50% alcohol, over Mm -hmm. this plant, then we have osmosis both for water-soluble compounds and for alcohol-soluble compounds. Mm, If we go down to to 80 proof, then our osmosis works poorly because the difference, 80 proof is only 40% alcohol and 60% water and 60% water on one side of the membrane and 75% water on the other side. Not very much of a difference. Okay, right, right. So you're not going to get... So well, I'll just take more. I said, yeah, but it doesn't matter how much more you take because you didn't get it into your alcohol in the first place. Mm, I see. It's not like it's weaker. It's like it's not there. Mm. And that's why I use vodka because I don't want to extract every poison from the plant. I want the buffering things. I want the water-soluble things. I want a tincture that has what the cannabis community is calling the entourage effect. (laughs) As opposed to trying to get just one part of the plant out. So that's why I don't use high-proof alcohol and why I don't use 80-proof. I see. So sticking with 100-proof is going to yield the best results for teachers for me. 
for me, it yields the best result. It gives okay. me the result I want. I find the tinctures highly effective. It's pretty easy for people to do it, and especially when you're working with fresh plants. Um, I actually um, have challenged people, uh, big companies who make tinctures with dry plants and um, high-proof alcohol to a blind tasting. And it's hard for them to believe that their dried motherwort tincture is the same plant as my fresh motherwort tincture. Mm. Have you ever tasted golden seal? No, I haven't. What's the bitterest thing you've tasted? Hmm. Black coffee? Yeah. That's pretty bitter. Black coffee? Yeah, black Black coffee. coffee, That's bitter, huh? (laughs) Black coffee, I'm trying to think. Tickly is pretty bitter. Um, At least as the infusion. Yeah, so what we're talking um, about here is even more bitter than that. Extremely, extremely bitter. Oh, I have tasted um, wormwood. Yeah, oh boy. They say one drop of wormwood in a swimming pool, you can still taste it. Yes, yes. (laughs) And our bodies, of course, instinctively do not like bitters. Now, the bitters have to do with poisons. I see. And small amounts of poisons can be used for health-promoting effects. Poison doesn't mean we'll kill you dead. <laughs> right, right. Right. Mm-hmm. So uh, what many people tell me is that they tried to make tinctures with H. vodka, and their tinctures really just didn't measure up. Right. No okay. matter how much they took. Okay, that's so really good to know. Yeah, go for the yeah, hundred It's worth it. Is there uh, a particular um, source that you like to go to for your vodka? I have a friend who works at a liquor store and can get me a small discount. Okay. 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 Since I'm generally buying the stuff in cases, they must think I am a real lush. <laughs> right. <laughs> Between apprentices and workshops and so on, I can go through a fair amount of vodka in a year. And, and not even to even mention the things that I put up. Um, so that's, you know, that's what I do. I buy four of the big bottles at a time so that I get a, the best price I can. Okay. Okay. And whatever well, they tell me, I'm happy with it. Mm hmm. Thanks for asking. Green blessings. Yes. Good thank night. You. <laughs> Good night. All right. We have about 27 minutes before our guest this evening, and we have five callers that have pressed one to let us know that I they have. I thought you were going to stay four. <laughs> oh, no. We had five. Yeah, five. And the next caller is calling from the 845 area code. From the 845, you're live on the air with Susan. Hi, Susan. How are you? I'm well. How are you tonight? <laughs> Long time no speak. It's good to hear your voice. And yours, too. <laughs> yeah. Um, I was just wondering, a uh, very strange thing here. I have, like, a kind of, I don't know what to call it, a cyst. In the outer quadrant of my breast, it is so far out that it's debatable as to whether or not it's actually in my breast. 
which sounds strange, but they're pretty large. It's like double D, so there's a lot of surface area there. But um, I was I discovered this one in the bathtub a few months ago, and um, it's about an inch long and a couple of centimeters wide, and it's smooth, but it's hard. Like picture putting your finger on your eyeball over the eyelid and pushing your eye around. It feels like that. So it's not rock hard, but it's fixed, it seems. But you can move the skin freely over it. Yes. Not like and, um, moving the end of your nose. Yeah, no, you can definitely move the skin. Mm-hmm. So I have and, other... And have you had, my, have you had cysts before? Yeah, I have smaller versions of this in my breast and other areas, but I wasn't worried about it before because they were so small that it was they never got any bigger. But in this particular case, this one seems really big to me, and I noticed that the I might just be paranoid, but, you know, like certain blood vessels have kind of appeared in the area a few inches above it. I don't know if that means anything. But the thing is, this has been going on for a few months since I discovered it, and I'm having my period right now, and I'm 52, so I don't know if I should get a mammogram for this. And what would the mammogram tell you? If it's cancerous or not. Mammograms cannot tell you whether or not it's cancer. A mammogram tells whether or not there's something in the breast that needs to be biopsied to see if it's cancer. Okay. The mammogram doesn't diagnose cancer. Okay. I mean, because a biopsy. A bio, so, so do you want someone to put a large bore needle into it and take out some tissue and look at it under a microscope to see whether or not there are cancer cells there? I mean, I would prefer not to, but what's, <laughs> you know, but what's bothering me, though, is the size. I don't know if I should be worried about that. I'm not worried about the size. I would be okay. more worried about... I would be more worried about changes. In other words, if you said to me, when I first noticed it, it was the size of a pea, and then a month later it was the size of a lima bean, and now it's the size of a crayon, I would be concerned. Mm -hmm. But what I'm hearing is that it's pretty much stayed the same size. It seems. I mean, I only know from about three or four months uh-huh. Sometimes if you really, you know, want to see if it's changing, uh, you could use a magic marker to draw an outline around it. You know, one that's like bath-proof, so it'll still be there in a couple of weeks. Or you can have someone take a picture of it. Okay, so you're saying if it seems to be more or less the same size, because I'm also prone to lipomas. And the position of it, again, is so far on the periphery, it's even debatable whether or not that's even in the breast. And it's about six inches south of the armpit. And you know that lipomas are fatty tissue. Yes. What you described to me sounded like it was firmer than that. Yes. Okay. Um. So, again, having a mammogram won't tell you whether or not it's cancer. The next step, if the mammogram finds a lump in your breast, which 
you're going because there's a lump in your breast, is to do a biopsy if it's suspicious. And if the biopsy comes back suspicious, then the next step is a lumpectomy, possibly followed by radiation and chemotherapy. Mm-hmm. And this can all be done even if you don't have cancer. <laughs> they would suggest that you do this if it's not cancerous? You would agree to do it if it wasn't cancerous because they would frighten you into it, yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. So you're saying it's not time to panic say, right I'm now. saying that the mammogram is opening a door to a real fear mm-hmm. show. Okay. And you right now don't have a lot of fear about this. And I'm reluctant to see you put yourself in the hands of people who do have a lot of fear. Because fear mm-hmm. is very infectious. Mm-hmm. Right now you have a concern, but you're not frightened about it. And I think that's a healthy place to be. Breast okay. cancer does have a tendency to occur in the axillary area. So if you took your collarbone, and it goes all the way across from shoulder to shoulder, and thought of a 25% section, in other words, half and then half again. And from that over to the shoulder and down, just about to where the breast begins to swell out from the body, however long that is, that area and all the way to the midline of the body, under the armpit and up into the axillary area, is the area where the vast majority of breast cancers start. Is that the area it's in? Yeah, it's like, you you can't call it the upper um, quadrant, and it's not the lower quadrant. It's actually smack in the middle on the side, but way on the periphery. So it's at the midline of the body. Yes. And down beyond the point where the breast begins to swell out. Yes. Sounding better and better. <laughs> yeah, it's not high and it's not low. It's dead smack right in the center. Like it's right in the center there, right? Is it bothersome? Does it chafe? Is it bleed? Is it a problem for you? Well, I'm having my period right now, and I'm having some pain, but actually to the right of that. So it's like it, it's even further over, so you can't even call that the the breast. But I also, and, I, you know, I might be paranoid, but it looks like I got some new blood vessels there. I, I can't even swear if that's true, but again, it's I'll hard, like it's, hard, it's really hard to tell about that, for sure. And okay. the growth of Thank new you. blood vessels, um, it, when we're talking about Blood vessels coming to the cancer, they're not the kind of blood vessels you can see. They're capillaries. Okay. Okay. So that's not, you know, that's unlikely to be related. Um, I don't know if you listened to the show earlier when I was talking about poke root, Phytolacca americana, and the tincture made from the fresh root, taken in a very small dose, very strong effect on breast tissue. So that's my sense. 
is you find yourself some poker tincture and you start messing around with mama poke and see what happens. Well, you know, I, I kind of, it's funny that you mentioned that because I kind of did that and I went way overboard with the poke and I actually hurt my lymph nodes with it because I took too much. And I, I feel that it was... What do you mean you hurt your lymph nodes? I just, after I, I took it, I took it in November and I was taking like two drops a day, then three drops, then up to five drops a day. And I was like, whoa, this stuff is like super aggressive. And I feel that it took about it five months. It is super aggressive, but I myself have taken four to five dropperfuls a day. And I know people who have taken up to a tablespoon a day. And we have not in any way injured our lymph nodes. It just created a very painful thing in the breast and it seems in, in, the, lymph, in the lymph nodes. But um, in five months on, it's actually a lot better. But I was feeling like a stabbing pain in my armpit and, and the lymph nodes. And I, it seemed to me that I went overboard with it. I took too much too fast. And it took a long time to get over it. But um, usually, if, usually if you take too much poke, you feel a little dizzy or you have visual disturbance or you get diarrhea. Mm-hmm. But I certainly would not be averse to taking poke again, but I would take it in a, in a much lower dose, though. It doesn't really take that much, right? It doesn't. Five drops is, is, is not even really that much. But, yes, low doses work just fine. And, again, remember that it, linking cause and effect is incredibly difficult. Yeah, I mean, I, I know what makes the sunrise every morning is the birds singing. <laughs> yeah. Because the sun follows the birds singing. Somebody wrote in to Prevention Magazine and said, you should warn people. I drank a cup of oat straw tea and I had a heart attack. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so while, it, while our minds may say this, happened after that, therefore this caused that. It is, in fact, the reason that we do double blind. Yeah, I think this is correlation, so that we can be causation. Separate out what is truly cause and what is truly effect. That doesn't mean the medical establishment necessarily pays any attention to it. I mean, study after study has found that antidepressive drugs are no better than the placebo. They still get prescribed. Mm-hmm. even though we know that they're basically not effective. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I don't know. All I can say is I, for about five months, I was in a lot of, um, it's very hard to describe. It was like somebody was taking an ice pick along my lymph, my lymph nodes and in certain areas of my breast, and this went on. And, and, and really I will tell you this, although it sounds very, very weird, the more it hurts, the less likely it is to be cancer. Yeah, I mean, it also could have been psychologically, I was somatizing a lot of stress and pain, so I think that was also adding to it. And I was somatizing in that area, too, so that, that could be. But I experienced it as being highly aggressive, but I just I used a lot too soon. But then as I tapered off, the symptoms weren't that bad, so I, I don't know. I guess it's up to the individual. Yeah, Absolutely. Absolutely. So I hope this has been some help, and certainly give us a call back and let us know what's happening, okay? Yeah, so I, I guess what you're saying is just monitor it and see if it gets bigger, right? 
Absolutely. Okay. Well, thank you so much. That was very helpful. You're welcome. Green blessings. Bye-bye. Green blessings. Bye-bye. All right. And we have had a couple callers shuffle around. So at this time, we have two callers waiting with questions. The next caller is calling from the 619 area code. You are live in the 619. Hello. Hi, is this me? 619, it's you. Oh, my gosh. Well, I did not raise my hand, but I will certainly ask a question. Thank you so much. My name's Jessica. You're welcome. <laughs> and, you know, I have something that looks like it's growing under my toenails. It kind of looks like a wart. It's under a couple of my toes, and it seems it is kind of painful under there because it seems like it goes more than halfway, and it's deforming my toenail. Probably dreaded toenail fungus. We talked. I talked a little earlier about horsetail, and yeah. which is out and about right now, pretty easy to find and of course easy to buy. And make yourself up some horsetail, pretty strong, and okay. soak your feet in it. Okay. Okay. Wonderful. Yes. Great. Thank you. You're welcome. Bye bye. Bye bye. All right, and our next caller is calling in from the 410 area code. And the 410, you're live on the air with Susan. Hi, Susan. Hi. Hi. I called a few weeks ago about high blood pressure. It was the night of yarrow, and I started brushing my teeth with yarrow and like drinking some of it, you know, some of it mixed with water, not very much. And um, my blood pressure is much lower. But I also, you know, I was eating cooked garlic, and I changed to start eating um, not very much, but raw garlic. So I did both of those things at the same time, and I'm having great blood pressure. Yay, you. Yeah. So you said to call back and let you know. Um, Thank so, you. Okay, and the and I had a question. I read that um, Tilia, Tilia Linden, yes, is more medicinal than what we have here, and I wondered what your opinion was about that. I have not noticed differences among the various species of linden. Uh-huh. Okay. I have certainly um, had people tell me that narrow-leaf plantain is stronger than broad-leaf plantain, but for all intents and purposes, they're exactly the same. Uh-huh. Okay. In other words, we're basically talking about the difference here between um, Tylenol and Advil, huh? Uh-huh. Okay. So no big deal. No big deal. Truly no big deal. Okay. Okay. Thank you so much. You are welcome. Green blessings. All right. At this time, we have no callers with their hands raised. So I will remind everyone to please press 1 if you have a question for Susan. 
we have about 10 minutes before our guest joins us this evening. And we do have an email question if you would like to hear that. I would, please. All right. Um, what are your thoughts on water fluoridation? Some people say that fluoride is a byproduct of fertilizer production. It is difficult to find the information on this. Have you ever researched it? And would you filter your water if you lived in a city that added fluoride to the municipal water for drinking? Thank you. It was noted not quite 100 years ago that there were areas of Texas where people did not have cavities in their teeth. And this is indeed notable, especially when you consider that 120 years ago, there was not a person over the age of 40 probably who had any of their original teeth left. We live in an area in which we go to the dentist early and we keep going to the dentist and we have really good dental care. It has probably done as much to increase the lifespan as uh, the hygienic practices that we have. Modern dentistry truly is a gift and a miracle for all of us. So... Could you read a little bit of the question again? You still there, Sarah Ellen? Yes, sorry. Uh, some people say that fluoride is a byproduct. Fluoride, right. Okay. Thank you. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, so they looked to see why these people had good teeth and didn't have any cavities. And what they found was that there was fluoride in their drinking water. And it became very clear that if fluoride were added to all drinking water, that it would reduce dramatically the number of cavities because so many people started drinking bottled water they decided to put fluoride in toothpaste. It's actually a little dangerous to put it in toothpaste. But the results from putting it in the water were so good that it was very disappointing to see people drinking bottled water that wasn't fluoridated and going back, and especially children having horrible problems with their teeth. Um, so they put the fluoride in the toothpaste. Where I personally would rather drink fluoridated water than use fluoridated toothpaste. Do you have to use fluoride? Do you have to go out of your way? Uh, no, but, you know, the children I've been around, it can be pretty tense trying to get them to brush their teeth. And so it's nice to have that little bit of backup with the fluoridated water, that if they don't brush their teeth and they don't floss, and that you have some protection there. The fact that something is a byproduct of something else does not make it the same as that something else, right? 
I mean, I guess when we're mad at someone, we say that the bi- that they are equivalent to the byproduct of their digestive system um, when it's all done, that they're a piece of mm-mm. But usually, you know, we understand that, that the byproduct is different than the actual being uh, or the actual stuff. So I'm not deeply concerned about that. And let me be very, very clear. I live in the country. I live in the country. I have to provide my own water. I have to have wells. I have to have spring boxes. I have to have piping. It's all on my shoulders. The city is not doing any of that for me. And so there isn't fluoride in my water, but I don't have any young children at home. I'm not fighting any battles. Um, I'm good at brushing my own teeth, um, so it's not critically important for me. And as with many other questions, um, we each might arrive at a different conclusion given the circumstances of our life, um, what we can do, and so on. So you may decide that it's not for you, or you may decide that it's not an issue. And again, to me, I kind of prioritize things. You know, I've been working for all of my adult life to use less plastic and to resist plastic. And it's a very difficult thing to do. And it's difficult for all of us to do. But at this point, the amount of microplastic in the environment causes each and every one of us, your children and yourself, to eat a credit card's worth of plastic every week. I'm much more concerned about that than fluoride. So those are the kinds of things that I put out my effort for because they're the things that are meaningful to me and because, like all people, I don't have time to deal with each and everything. Has Maureen joined us? Yes, Maureen is with us now. Maureen Teresa Smith, writer, activist, and mom with background in healing arts. Maureen defines her life work as integrating spirituality into every day. She chooses practicals and rituals that are inspirational and fun to support girls and teens in becoming whole, strong women. Her company, Indigo Blooms, offers personal coaching, support circles, workshops, and products that empower girls and those that care for them by enhancing intuition, awareness, and inner authority. Maureen Smith chooses beauty, joy, and a fierce commitment to self-love. She offers visionary coaching to women and girls in times of transition and facilitates indigo circles for tween and teen girls. Her first book was First Moon, Celebration and Support for Girls Growing Up Journey. And recently, Your Moontime Magic, A Girl's Guide 
to getting your period and loving your body. And her editors at New World Library obviously have no idea where apostrophes are supposed to go because these titles are not apostrophed correctly, and she needs to talk to her editor. Welcome to the show, Maureen. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> you don't put the apostrophe after the S in girls if you have A before it, right? A girls. The apostrophe after the S would indicate plural girls. So it should be A G I R L apostrophe S girls. Hi, are we still connected? I'm not hearing anything. Have I been disconnected? Oh, I'm here. Oh, okay, great. Wonderful. Wonderful, wonderful. So, have things changed and young women are now eager to get their period and celebrate? Uh, That's a good question. Well, if you are um, talking to my now 11-year-old daughter, that's probably because she's... Maureen, are you on a cell phone? Yes. Because you are cutting in and out. We're getting about every third word. Oh, that is such a drag. I'm sorry. It's usually this is why I to work all day, and that hasn't happened before. So I'm going to try to move somehow. Is that better? Yes, that's much better. Okay. Okay. Okay, so, so I heard something about your daughter, and I think you said an age, but we didn't get it. Okay. So I would say that, you know, talking to my daughter, she is excited about it. She's an 11-year-old, and probably because she lives with me and has been around me and this book and does the circles with me. So um, about a year ago, she came in my room in the morning, and she said, I can't wait to be 11. And I said, why? And she said, because I'll get my period. <laughs> so I would say that some girls are excited about getting them and some girls not so much. Um, and I think that just depends on, um, you know, that kind of their upbringing and the messages they're getting from those close to them around them and from, you know, the general uh, culture. Well, that's really what I was asking about. Is the general culture more supportive? Well, I definitely think it is, and we're trending in the right direction. Um, You know, there's still a lot of cultural taboos around talking about menstruation and periods, um, but I see it changing. Um, For example, when I originally wrote First Moon in 2004, um, at that time, menstruation really wasn't in the news and for example you hadn't heard of things like or most people hadn't heard of period poverty or period equity and there are still very limited options as far as menstrual hygiene products but um over the last couple of years those that's really changing i I just want to stop you because i think you're assuming that everybody understands what you're talking about oh (laughs) so Let's see. Um, would you like me to? So menstrual, menstrual parity, and when you say there are very few products, and women are going, what do you mean there's very few products? You go in the drugstore, and there's like 50 different products to choose from. Well, I know what you're talking about. 
but I, I don't think that most of the listeners really understand what you're talking about. Okay, thank you. So, so I would say um, in many cases in the world, girls... You're breaking up again. Oh, this is frustrating. Sorry about that. Anything else? Um, Better. Okay. So, in many places around the world, girls are Poverty. Yeah, not getting any of it now. Is this the only phone you have? It is, and this has never happened before. So I'm not quite sure how to best. Okay. Um, Are you moving around? Are you moving into different areas? Yes. I, I moved from where I work all day and haven't had that trouble into my kitchen, and usually it's okay here. Right now it's Uh-oh. good. Okay. Um, so, so period okay. poverty is? So period poverty, since we said, it, it's the lack of access to sanitary products, it's uh, lack of access to menstrual hygiene education, toilets, hand-washing facilities. Um, but now, and, and period poverty is, it is actually also just access for people not just around the world, but in the United States, there's a lot of people that can't afford products. And for example, if you're on the standard period products that not essentials like toilet paper um, instead of a luxury item. <laughs> so that's what I'm talking about when I'm talking about uh, period poverty. So it's not a poverty of periods. It's right. How, it's how poverty impacts women very specifically, not people who want to be women, not people who think they're women, not people who are, are, you know, trying to be women, but actual women who actually bleed and who have to do something about it and may not have the money to buy manufactured products. Exactly. And I understand why this is called poverty. Um, on the other hand, buying manufactured products and throwing all that away contributes to an even worse poverty. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, there, I mean, one of the things that we've really seen change when you ask me are things changing is there such a, a greater demand for safer products that has led to organic tampons and reusable pads, you know, made up and environmentally involved. Yes, yes, right? Right. Yes. A lot of organic products right. now available. Right, right. So um, that's happy, what I'm talking happy about. Happy to see that, absolutely. Yes. And I, you know, it goes well beyond this as well. I know from... Um, friends of mine who teach in India, that in many places in India, um, 
there are no indoor toilet facilities. Uh, Basically, you do it outside. And women, uh, because of uh, the culture, are not allowed to allow anything, to eliminate anything from their bodies during the daylight hours. Mm-hmm. Wow. Wow. Very, does that lead them also to you know, going to school? I know. You know so this in, in places where yeah. it can be easier to get an infection, it's more difficult to keep yourself in a state in which you feel good, and especially with limited water, as you say, for washing and so on. And and you also um, pointed out, and it's really important, um, that many women worldwide are given no education about what's going to happen to their body as they come into their womanhood. Right, right. There's been so much stigma around it that it just, and that's one reason I wanted this book because I just think it's such a basic, natural, healthy bodily function. Um, but this thing really has and, um, and so yeah. what caused you to write a second book were you unhappy with the first book or were the things you left out or things that came up what what happened in between the first and second books well I think a lot happened I think when um, the first the, when the book first came out it was inspired by actually a dream that I had of this lovely kind of God is woman telling me these words that I wished I had heard all those years ago. And it left me with such a warm, full feeling inside that I got up and I started to write it and I wrote it as a gift for my nieces at the time. And then fast forward 15 years later, and I have a daughter getting to be that age. She was about 10 years old. And I did see things changing in, um, in the world as far as many more people um, working toward more of a period positive um, outlet. And I was, I've also been playing with young women on self-esteem issues, and I just felt it needed a little updating. Um, and there are some more resources, and like we were talking about um, more healthy organic products, and, and for women to have, but I truly wanted to make sure all of that was in the book. And so that's what inspired me to bring forward this updated version. And I think it also has more of the um, blueprint of how to really take care of yourself on an emotional and spiritual level, too, and navigate through this one um, really important kind of change to be able to apply those tools to subsequent times of change in life. Wonderful. Before we leave period poverty, is there anything we can do to help to change this? Yeah. You know, there are, if you go to my website, which is com, or you can go to indigo slash bloom.com and the link for that. I do have a resource page that has all kinds of really wonderful organizations doing things to end period poverty. 
And um, so if you want to go there, I would suggest that um, to find organizations that you can get involved with or donate to or learn more about this whole topic. Wonderful. Uh, give, us that, give us that website again. It's yourmoontimemagic.com, or you can go to indigo-blooms.com, and that will lead you there as well. All right. Fantastic. Um, <laughs> you know, I have met women who, no matter what good thing they have heard about their period, say it is just a nightmare for them. Mhm. Mhm. Have you met those women also? Oh, absolutely. And I was one of those women. Um, I think I had a really hard time with my period. It wasn't until my mid to late twenties that I started to look for new ways to care for my menstrual health, and that's part of what led me on the journey through the book. Um, and I wanted to. I wanted to provide this information of what helped me to other people um, make a difference in their lives. And so um, I would say if you're a woman that's had these terrible experiences with your periods, it might help to look back at your own puberty and reflect on the messages you learned about getting your period. And ask yourself, were these messages helpful or useful in learning about your own menstrual health? And is there anything you wish you learned or knew then that could be more helpful to you or uh, the young women in your life today? Because I don't I think it's never too late to try a little self-care whenever you're on your cycle. And regardless of what your experience has been, you can be honest um, with your daughter and let her know that even though your periods were difficult, recognize the time of change for her and for her to have happiness and health in every aspect. Wonderful. I've also heard from a significant number of these women that once they started really giving themselves um, time off before they started bleeding, not just during the bleeding days, but even in that premenstrual period, that it did lessen the pain. Yes, exactly. I even talk about what I did. I um, It was a couple days before my period, and I would be cranky and irritable and so sensitive. It was like all of the feelings that I had kind of pushed aside the whole month just came, you know, bubbling up that day. Um, but I did start to change and make sure I gave myself even was the day off or at least a few hours or an evening just to myself to pamper and take really care, good care of myself to do some journaling. And just knowing that I had that time to look forward to to myself really shift, started to shift over time um, my whole experience with getting my period. I used to my tell. Cramp- <laughs> I used to tell women that PMS meant patriarchal mindset. And then when you there change you your go. change your mindset, it it changes. And then I met some teenagers, and they said to me, "Oh no, PMS means pamper me silly." 
Oh, I love that one. That, those are both really good. I have preparing myself to shine. <laughs> I love <laughs> it. <laughs> So what we're talking about here is even if an individual woman has had a difficult time of it, that um, it, we don't need to say to our daughters, it's going to be awful. Right. Exactly. That we can, we can admit, I've, I've had a hard time. It's been very difficult for me. But I know some things now that I can share with you that will help you. Mm-hmm. And, you know, at the Wise Women Center, we pay women to take a moon day. Oh, that is amazing. What a beautiful gift and model for for organizations all over the world. That is just great. How is I, that? What's the idea of that? But the, the idea is mm-hmm. to say to women that, there is an economic value in your taking time off for yourself when you're bleeding. Mhm. Mhm. Wow, I got the chills on that. What an impact. Yeah. On so many So often, you know, as we know, women's work is undervalued or not valued at all. But after mm-hmm. all, you know, menstruation is the work for getting ready for the next generation, so it should certainly be valued. Wow, I love that. I I just love that. I'm just raising my hands to you. Okay. <laughs> I've never Absolutely. Love it. Yeah, yeah. And I, I am so thankful that you have written these books for girls because um, there's not really a lot out there for girls that's other than cut and dried. Uh, is period still in print? Do you know that book? Well, there's a new book called Period. Um, Pe- period was a, an, an illustrated guide to getting your period. Oh, okay. I don't know. Just don't amazing. So. Really marvelous. Um, but oh. I suspect that it wasn't in print because it's been a while. Okay. And there was also a book called The Clear Red Stone, which I'm sure is long since out of print. Um, and then not much between those two and your books, so thank you. <laughs> well, I also think, you know, the more we can make this just a normal, natural conversation and part of life, it it really empowers young women to take, you know, to advocate for themselves and their health. For example, um, when they go to the doctor's office, they won't feel embarrassed to ask a question about this, but they'll have agency. And I want that to be foundational for young women and so that it can follow them um, throughout their life, to have that sense of agency and not to feel ashamed or embarrassed about just something so natural and, you know, part of their overall health. And I suspect that your books go a long way toward doing that because they talk about self-care on both physical, emotional, and spiritual aspects. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Could you it's give us some examples? You know, Could you give us some examples of those things? Sure. Well, I think, 
you know, health is made up of not only physical health, but also our mental and emotional and spiritual health. And the cycle is connected to so many of those aspects of our health, our hormones, our sleep cycles, our dreams, our energy levels, moods, food cravings, our nutritional needs. And really understanding and caring for menstrual health is a great way to learn about your body and what it needs on all of those levels in order to live a healthy, vibrant life. And so the book has, you know, meditations and it has, um, you know, how to get to know and understand kind of your energy body, um, exercises around getting to know what kind of food you might need and um, what your body responds better to at different times during your cycle. Um, and so it really like addressing, it just addresses the whole health of a person. And I think the more we're incorporating all of those aspects um, into the conversation about health and wellness, um, the more informed we are to make healthy choices. What are some of your recommendations for specific foods for menstrual health? Well, I'm not the expert so much on this as you would be, <laughs> but um, I really, it's, I do think one is very individual to the person, but just some basics are during, um, especially coming up right in, in the, what did we call it, preparing my, pampering my socially time, the PMS time, to, you know, lose the caffeine and the sugar um, and just eat much more just whole foods um, that are nourishing to your body. Don't be skipping. Good advice. Absolutely. The best advice ever. Perfect. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And I saw that, and you um, are an expert and have written a book about the uh, the other side of the cycle, the menopause. Yes. Correct. Well, the, the end of the cycle, as opposed to the beginning of the cycle. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But there, I call right. menopause the puberty prime. They're the same thing. Oh, I like that. I like that puberty prime. Yeah, they're very similar. They're very similar. I think that. On the menopause side, there might be a little more surrender on the puberty side. Well, partly because, when, partly because when we're teenagers, we don't think we know it all yet. <laughs> we may act like we think we know it all, but we know we don't know it all. But by the time we get to menopause, by golly, we know it all. <laughs> and we right. go into puberty thinking, oh, goody, goody, you know, I'm going to be... I'm going to be different. I'm going to be grown up. And we go into menopause going, oh, no, oh, no, oh, no. I'm going to be different. I'm going to be an old washed-up nothing. And so I have Uh, frequently said that the real problem here is the adjectives we use before the word old. How about stunningly old, superbly old, excitingly Mm -hmm. old, Mm -hmm. scintillatingly old. Ah. See, if we could give ourselves a few more of those kinds of adjectives, then menopause would be a lot more fun. It's true. It's true. It's the same thing. It's the same thing. We're growing up. We're growing up. And and one man came to me and he said, my gosh, you know, you're absolutely right. Men don't grow up. We are always in Never Never Land. (laughs) 
Most amazing things. Do dads have any place in this? Is this all moms and daughters? Do the dads have any role? Dads definitely have a role in this. Um, I've talked to the single dads, um, and, and, and anyway, anyway they, they all have um, this question, like, what can I do? How do I know to say the right thing? This feels so awkward for me. And I, I tell them that everybody learns about periods and puberty, um, especially dads. And that it needs to be a conversation that we're all having. Um, and it's experience. It always sounds so good when we talk about conversations. But I'll tell you honestly and truthfully, every time I sat down to talk to my daughter about these things, she glared at me, ran out yeah. of the room, or said, <laughs> Well, yeah. And my mother just gave up and gave me a book. Oh, yeah. Well. So, we, and I'm saying this, in case you have tried to talk to your teenage daughter and you are getting the same response, just know, it's not you. You're not doing anything wrong. If you really can't talk, books are okay. And and you might consider um, uh, Your Moon Time Magic is a book you could give your teenage daughter. Yes. So, yeah, and I think that parents being educated about it and learning about it and, and aware of what their responses are to just be positive and supportive, and yeah, definitely probably 90% of teenagers aren't going to want you to talk to them directly about it. They'll just say, hey, this is gross, don't talk to me about it. But there are really lovely, creative things that I see parents and kids doing. For example, one of my girlfriend's daughters said, if you ever talk to me about this, I, you know, I will never talk to you again. But instead, she created what's called her super secret um, journal. And she would write her mom option in the journal that they were never allowed to talk about. They could only write in the journal about it. And then her mom would answer it. And they would include illustrations about things and how the body works and all kinds of good questions. But it had to stay in the journal. So, you know, you can find different... So the the mom and her girls had a secret journal. Yep. That is so great. And I just love it. I just love it. And it came from the daughter's idea. The mom wanted to talk and the daughter didn't, so this is what she did. And it was genius. Truly. Wonderful. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) (laughs) Now, let's you talk about indigo circles and indigo blooms. Could you let us in a little bit on what that is? Yes. Well, I'm very excited. I mentioned that I've been doing these circles with young women. And... Um, and I and I was calling them girl circles because they're based on what's called the girl circle model. The training for you to support self-esteem. And um, but uh, in these circles, there's a lot more um, emphasis on seeing into your own intuition and um, growing that ability. Um, with meditations and art and different exercises. And so our integral circles are a safe, fun, and supportive space. 
struggle to share their voices and their feelings and their creativity. It's free from what, what important, what an important gift and offering. Definitely. Um, and I also there's also a go set for parents together. Um, so that is what the Indigo circles are. And then the um, Indigo blooms. Um, we also have um, we also have bloom box kits. Each one has a different theme that will go along um, with whatever whatever kind of change your daughter might be going through. So there's one that's the Moon Time Magic gift box. There's one Intuitive Moon Girl that, that's like you know more focused on growing your intuition. So they all have different and um, guided journals and um, flower essences and missing sprays, and they're beautiful, and they're a lot of fun. The girls love them. Wonderful. Fantastic. (laughs) You have so much to share, and I really um, am excited about the work that you are doing, Maureen. And uh, give that website once more for everybody so they can get it. It's yourmoontimemagic.com. That's it. And the other is indigo-blooms.com. And, um, Susan, thank you so much for inviting me to be a guest on your show. And it's been a pleasure to hear your community asking you questions before this and I'm really grateful to be able to share this information with you guys, so thank you. None of us are guys, but we're happy to have you Ah. share the information. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And I really do not like to be called guys. As a matter of fact, for over 25 years, I've been telling women Uh, that if they call each other guys or allow themselves to be called guys, they will lose their reproductive rights. Oh, my goodness. You're a fierce one. You're a fierce, wise one. There you oh, go. I got to say, you know, it has come true. You have lost your reproductive rights because you call each other guys. Can you stop now, please? Before they overturn Roe versus Wade? Really, this is so important. This is the most important work any woman can do. Refuse to be called a guy and do not call any other woman a guy. You know that one of the metaphors that I use is that we are reweaving the healing cloak of the ancients. And so I want to ask you, what would you like to leave in the hearts and the minds of everyone who's listening to you tonight, Maureen Smith? Oh, wow. Thank you. Um, I would like to leave them with um, each month your body prepares, if you're a menstruator, your body's preparing for a possible pregnancy. And even though pregnancy might not be something you want or are ready for now, if you tune into those natural cycles, you can use this time to bring other creations to life, your dreams and your visions. And so go out and vision and take very good care of yourself. Beautiful. Menstruators, women. Let's use the real word. Women. Women. Not women. some funny term. Women. Let's keep women here. Women are important. 
Hey, Sarah Ellen, thank you for helping me restore herbal medicine to its rightful place as people's medicine and for being right here to push the buttons and welcome people. I cherish you. Justine and Dave and Monica Jean, our hearts are with you as you go through this narrow passage here. Lots and lots of love and green blessings to everybody. I'll be right back with you next week. Ed, sooner than you can say, here comes Poison Ivy. Sarah Ellen will be telling us about it. Good night, everybody. Green blessings. Good night, Susan. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VDW Group. No purchase necessary. Avoid where prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive of offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark.